Before I begin my sermon today, before I lead the invocation prayer, I'm going to take a moment and speak briefly about the war unfolding in Israel and Palestine, even as we worship here today. I utterly condemn the surprise attacks from Hamas. They are without justification. A dear family friend has had a cousin killed. Another cousin was at a music festival in the South and has not been heard from. The fear in my family is that they are dead or held hostage. The hope is that they are hiding in the wilderness. What comes to me for, what comes to mind for me is a legend, the legend of the Gordian Knot. The legend goes that in a city called Gordium in modern day Turkey, in a city called Gordium, there was an ox cart fastened to a gate by a rope. The rope was fastened with a knot of incredible complexity. It was said that the person who could untie the knot would rule over the whole of the known world. The knot was said to have remained tied for generations until one day a young military man named Alexander the Great entered Gordium. And taking one look at the knot, Alexander drew his sword and sliced it in two. As a child, I thought of this legend as a testament to the cleverness of Alexander. Today, I find the legend troubling and prophetic because it was not so much a solution at all. It was a turn to violence and destruction as a solution to complexity. And Alexander did go on to conquer the whole of the known world, but his death was very much the same as his solution to the Gordian knot. Sudden and absent any meaning. His empire was both unprecedented in scope and scandalous in brevity. The legend of the Gordian knot is to me about the empty wisdom of violence seeming to be cleverer than it is, promising quick progress, but ending at the same place that it began. Peace and prosperity for two peoples in Israel and Palestine. It is a Gordian knot. Others, I pray, will have the wisdom and insight needed to untie that tangle of history and faith and people because that, that knot has been tied tight for generations and the temptation is to despair of untying it at all. The temptation is always to try Alexander's solution. I utterly condemn the surprise attacks yesterday that began this war. What comes from war is simply more war my prayer is for peace and prosperity for two peoples, Israel's, Israelis and Palestinians. And my belief is that there is a way to untie that knot. There is a solution, but it is not Alexander's solution. Now I will turn to the scriptures and the sermon, if you would join me in prayer. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Another telling of the baptism of Christ. The same as the first, but with one little change. The people were coming from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and Bethany and Jericho. They were coming to the Jordan River. They were there to see John, who was called the Baptizer. He was a wild sort of a figure with a robe of camel's hair living off the land. 
Now, John was baptizing anyone who would come to him. He was offering a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Turn around, be baptized, be forgiven of your sins. Heaven knows what a gift it would be to be offered a chance to be forgiven for all past sins. Heaven knows it would be a gift, and so did the people, for they were coming in droves from all over Judea, Jerusalem, Bethany, Jericho. Then came from Galilee, Jesus. Jesus came to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus said to him, You've spoken rightly. I am greater than you. You should not be baptizing me and will not. You're not worthy to tie the thong of my sandals. This baptism of repenting of sins, I have no need of that. This water, this forgiveness, I don't need that. Fire and the Holy Spirit are my baptisms. And a voice came from the heavens like the sky torn open. This is my son, the sinless one. This is the one in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus began his ministry. The sinless one departed to teach and perform wonders. And the followers of Jesus took up his word, took up the cross and followed him. They strived to be like Jesus. They tried to live and teach just as he had. The man who never needed any forgiveness. The man of fire and holiness. The Christians, those who followed him, those who had no need of forgiveness, they were the ones who were truly like Christ. The ones who could, with good reason, insist on their own holiness, who could stand warmed by the warmth of their own fire. They inherited what it meant to be like Christ. They were the ones who could lead the church to fail, to need forgiveness. This marked a person forever as being not like Christ. The baptism of John was left behind. Forgiveness of water replaced with the fire of righteousness. Another telling of the baptism of Christ, the same as the first, with just, just one, one little change. Does John the baptizer get his way when he objects, saying very understandably, Jesus, I am not the one to be baptizing you. John means it as a way to honor Christ. But if he gets his way, if there's just that one little change, what a change. These things that I do to, to honor God, these lenses I place on theological ideas, they aren't a bad idea, they aren't a bad thing. Jesus is holy, living life as it truly ought to be lived. Yes. I look at Jesus coming to receive a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and I know how I would react. Were Jesus himself to come to me and ask for me to baptize him, to forgive him, I would say what John the baptizer did. Lord, you have got this all backwards. You are holy, and I am the one who needs forgiveness from you. John the baptizer is surely a greater figure than me, and he got it wrong. He has the baptizer right in his name. And he somehow got baptism wrong. I would have done as John did. I would have erred. 
in believing that Christ's holiness put him beyond the reach of baptism, placed him above the waters of grace. I would have made of the Christian faith a terrible parody without knowing it. I would have done as John did, and had I gotten my way, had John gotten his way, the Christian faith would be one of striving to be perfect in order to be worthy of Christ's example. The church would be one where any error makes me less than, farther than, worse. So what is this baptism that Christ receives? What is this strange grace we see in these waters? This baptism of Jesus, this strange grace, it takes a holy man, Jesus Christ, takes a holy man and stands him in the same waters, in the same waters as the ordinary, of which I count myself, surely. What are these waters? What strange grace is there? In these waters, there is no room for pride, Christ is greater than John the baptizer, and when he goes down into the waters held in the arms of John, the waters themselves are transformed. There is no longer any greater or lesser. The waters are joyful equality between all people. In these strange waters, too, there is no fear of separation from God. Christ's holiness has transformed the waters into the tangible and real symbol that God would rather be with humanity than to be greater than us. God was given the chance, explicitly told, take the greater place. And God replied, no, thank you. No, I will take my place among you. In these waters, there is no allowance for hierarchy among God's people, this one being great, that one being despised. Christ's acceptance of a common lot has transformed the waters into a river of kinship, one where all are shoulder to shoulder. We as Christians, we are baptized into Christ's baptism. We are baptized into Christ's baptism. That is the baptism we proclaim here in this congregation that we practice, the baptism we call all people who would have these waters to joyfully accept. It is the baptism of Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That is Christ's baptism. If you are a person who is not baptized, come to the waters. Christ has transformed them, set aside the waters for the lost, given over the waters for the least, blessed the waters for the doubting, filled the waters with those acquainted with despair. If you have been baptized, whether you came to the waters as an adult, knowing full well what you were all about, or whether the waters came to you as an infant across your brow. Whether you have strived to be holy all your life and feel you have done as good a job as any, or whether you carry deep hurts and failings like chains you do not know how to break, 
come to the waters. They are yours. The voice of God that spoke that day from the heavens speaks today as well. You are my child, my beloved, and you I am well pleased. You are my child, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. You are my child, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. You are my child, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Here in these waters, the strange grace that welcomed Christ into repentance for this. Thanks be to God. Amen.